It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. I tell you right out, I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the bunchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go Money, 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 money. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which, of course, means Armchair Politics is coming up in about an hour with uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined uh, this week again by um, uh, consulting editor for East Village Magazine, Jan Worth Nelson. And I say joining us again because last week was a repeat from Halloween, and she went basically went to hell with armchair politics for Halloween and we replayed that last week during some looks back at 2021. This is the uh, the first uh, Wednesday of the new year and um, the first Wednesday of the month uh, which means we're going to be talking about the economy as we try to do on the first Wednesday every month with economist from University of Michigan, Flint, Chris Douglas, who joins me by phone. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the show, and Happy New Year. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. Happy New Year to you, too. I, you know, I mentioned it was the uh, uh, first Wednesday of the month, first Wednesday of the new year, um, but this is an excellent opportunity to... Um, kind of look back and look forward and and a lot of uh, media outlets are doing that but let's let's start out by looking back at uh at 2021 and 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 I was trying to decide whether I was going to ask you what the takeaways were or what the throwaways were and I think maybe <laughs> I'll just open it up to both and and see what your thoughts are how you wrap up 2021 from an economic uh, vantage point 
Yeah, I was going to say, is there a difference between the two terms for 2021? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I I was wrestling with that a little bit this morning before the show started. I was thinking, do I want to talk about takeaways from 2021 or throwaways? No, I don't think there's much of a difference. I guess if I would summarize 2021 on the economic front, I would say it's disappointing. Um especially if we look back to the summer, how hopeful we were that things were going to go back to normal. Uh, the vaccine was widely available by the summer. Um, cases uh, were basically zero, very close to zero. Um, hospitalizations to death, very close to zero. So like by the 4th of July, we kind of thought, well, hey, life is going to get back to normal. We're going to go back to what it was in 2019. And then somehow things fell off the rails. Um, things didn't go back to normal. We see labor supply shortages persisting through the economy. And if anything, that's getting worse. Um, September 2021, we saw a record number of people quit their jobs. Um, that's an old record. The new record was set in November 2021. We don't know if December will set another record on top of that because that hasn't been released yet. So it looks like, if anything, we're regressing on the economic front because things are starting to look like 2020, you know, not at the end of the pandemic. Uh, we're seeing supply chain disruption persist through the economy. Uh, if you go to the grocery store, there's random shortages. A new car is basically impossible to buy at this point as the computer chip shortage persists. If you look at domestic new car production, it's a bit hard to believe, but only half the amount of new cars are being produced right now compared to before the pandemic, which means used car prices are through the roof. Also hard to believe that used car prices have risen 50% compared to before the pandemic. I really feel bad for people who are in the position that they have to buy a new, a, a new used car, if you will, uh, because their existing car has just died. It's a real tough spot to be in, and that doesn't seem to be getting any better. So things don't seem to be improving on the economic front um, for those reasons, as well as there's just broader price inflation. You know, inflation is running at 7% right now. Um, likely it's going to go higher in 2022. So I think the real hope in 2021 was, hey, the vaccines are available. Uh, this pandemic is going to be over. And then somehow that fell off the rails as we move through 2021 into 2022. Well, a year ago at this time, um, the vaccines were, were brand new. They'd only been released, uh, you know, in, in December of uh, 2020. And um, we really started the year a year ago with a lot of hope that, you know, by getting shots in arms, we would knock this thing out and things would get back to normal. And we thought it would happen by summertime, as you as you indicated. And then all of a sudden, here we are a year later and, uh, you know, a couple of uh, variants uh have emerged and this new one seems to be spreading like wildfire and one of the things that you always say chris is is that uh, wall street doesn't like uncertainty and it seems like we've had nothing but uncertainty throughout 2021 yeah that's exactly right and that's why the dow dropped a thousand points when the omicron variant was announced I'm not super convinced it's spreading like wildfire. Certainly cases are up, but that might be a product of testing being way up. Um, as you've probably seen in various news reports, there are just lines miles long to get tested, you know, especially in big cities like New York City, 
I've read stories where people have waited a line four or five hours to get testing. You know, people have showed up in line at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning at testing centers where the testing center might open up at noon. So if you're just testing a, a large number of people, kind of by definition, you're going to find a large number of cases. I don't think cases tells us a whole lot. I think that's a real problem of, of the pandemic and that people just get hyper-focused on cases. And if cases go up, well, that's when the uncertainty begins because then everyone thinks, well, what are the restrictions going to be? You know, what's going to be shut down? Are bars, restaurants going to be shut down? Are there going to be travel restrictions and so forth? So I think we really need to focus on hospitalizations and fatalities in terms of the severity of the pandemic. And fortunately, at least right now, sure, cases might be way up, but fatalities are not up. So I think if we had a more sensible pandemic response, we would say, well, fatalities aren't up. That seems to indicate that the vaccines are working and that COVID is probably going to be endemic. It's going to circulate like lots of viruses circulate. We're just going to have to live with it, which, you know, given the vaccine, we can do. So if we get focused on the wrong thing, which is cases, we have a response that's very disproportional to the risk, which then introduces all these economic uncertainties, as well as supply chain disruptions, labor market shortages, school closures, and so forth. Uh, we just can't have this continue for the foreseeable future. I mean, at some point, life has to get back on. And one of the things that has been impacted by the the virus and the various quarantines and our reactions uh, to the to the virus has been the labor force. You talked about these uh, record breaking um, what job loss or or, or um, resignations, people leaving jobs. Um, what exactly is is going on there? Did did uh, did somehow the labor force blink and and realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm not all that happy with what I'm doing? I think so. Although at the end of the day, at the end of the day, people have to pay their bills. So even before the pandemic, it's not like most people liked their jobs. If you believe the statistics, I think surveys suggested that. You know, 75 to 80 percent of their people felt unfulfilled at work, which strikes me as plausible. It's not like you talk to a lot of people who are really enthusiastic about going to work every day. It's something you do because you have bills to pay. So that hasn't changed after COVID. So sure, people might be not thrilled with their jobs, but how are they paying their bills if they're not working? I think that's the big unanswered question. If it doesn't seem like policymakers are super eager to figure out the answer to that question. Why are people not going to work if they have bills to pay? Um, so what I would, what I'm going to say is speculative, but this is what I would put my money on in that um, COVID and the shutdowns uh, caused some people to retire early. Um, you know, people who might have been in their late fifties, early sixties who were thinking of working a few more years might have said, well, things are shutting down. Doesn't look like the economy is going to be really that great. Uh, this is time to retire right now. So that might explain some of the labor market shortages, but not all of it. Um, I think what explains a great deal of labor market shortages is that people received three rounds of COVID stimulus um, since March 2020. Um, that meant checks going out to people. That's the most visible COVID stimulus. I don't like the term stimulus. I don't think it's really stimulating anything, but that's the term that people are using. Uh, but those checks were very generous. Um, and the checks were per person in the household. So 
if you are married with a couple of kids, you know, that's four checks coming in for three rounds of stimulus. On top of that, there's the enhanced child tax credit. Um, on top of that, the, there's the enhanced unemployment benefits, which means that some people made more on unemployment than they made, that they made working. So you can find people on Twitter saying, hey, I got a five-figure deposit from the federal government with this round of stimulus payments. Well, with the pandemic, it was hard to find a place to spend that money. Um, you couldn't really spend it on services with services being curtailed. You know, it's hard to go to a theme park if there are travel restrictions. It's hard to go to the theater where there's capacity restrictions. And some people, even if there are no capacity restrictions, don't feel comfortable um, doing those things. So lots of the COVID stimulus was saved. Other parts of the stimulus were spent on goods because that's the one thing you could buy as a tangible good, which is why we're seeing inflation in the goods sector. But I think what that means is people had a nest egg built up so that um, if you have two people in the household working, one person could go back to work and the other person could stay home and draw down that nest egg to say, pay the mortgage, pay the rent, pay utilities and so forth. So if that's what's happening, that might explain why we're not seeing people re-enter the labor force who exited the labor force during the shutdown and why we're seeing a record number of people quitting their jobs. And I think child care issues um, really fuel I was just I was just thinking that, Chris, and, and I was going to ask if we see disproportionately women leaving the workforce to stay home because they've done the math and they make so few dollars to work when they have to pay for daycare for kids. Yeah, it's not like daycare was cheap before COVID and that's where we got more expensive after COVID, just like everything else. And right. part of that is labor shortages. Um, disproportionately, it was women working in daycare. So if women aren't reentering the labor force, like you mentioned, well, that's going to restrict the supply of daycare workers, which just pushes up the price even higher. And then even more women say, well, given what I now have to pay for daycare, if I can even find it, it, just, it doesn't make financial sense to re-enter the labor force. So that shortage kind of feeds on itself. You know, shortage of workers leads to higher daycare prices, which leads to a greater shortage of workers, which leads to higher daycare prices. You know, kind of lather, rinse, repeat. And then suppose you have kids who are school-aged, not high school, but elementary school, we well, just can't leave an elementary school kid home by him or herself, right? You can't leave a first grader home by himself. Um, you'll get in trouble if you try to do that. So there's all this uncertainty in terms of will schools be open? Will schools go virtual? Will the bus show up to pick up my kid or will I have to scramble to get my kid to school if it's open? Um, you could see schools in Genesee County announcing right around New Year's, hey, we're going virtual for the first three days of the semester because of COVID cases. Right. But all of a sudden, you've got a first grader who's going to be at home. And if you're working, you've got to try to figure out child care. Um, that's going to be expensive, if not impossible. So that, I think that's restricting people from reentering the labor force. And Chris, so, I, I have to. It's not like these. Uh, Chris, oh, I, have to, go? Yeah, I have to throw a break in here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Oh, absolutely. All right. My guest is uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming the show at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Stay tuned.
Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. 
Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, We continue our conversation with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. And we're really lucky to have him because I I see him more and more on television, and so it's nice that he (laughs) still continues to join us on the first Wednesday of every month. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. It's always great to be here, Tom. Um, yeah, you've, you've become kind of the go-to guy when, uh, people want uh, a little local take on, on the economy lately. I've seen you on television quite a bit in recent weeks and months. Yeah, there's lots of stuff to talk about with the economy, so I'm, I'm glad that they reach out to me. I'm always happy to share whatever insights I have to share. Well, it would be nice if they didn't have to talk to me because everything was just going so smooth with the economy. <laughs> but that hasn't been the case really since I got my Ph.D. back in 2007 because the Great Recession hit December yep. 2007, goes to June 2009, and then we have a very disappointing recovery. Really, the recovery is only complete in 2019. It takes until 2019 for gross domestic product to get back to its potential it stays there, stays there for a year that COVID hit. So it's just been one crisis after another. So who knows what's going to happen in 10 years. Well, Hopefully nothing, but not a great track record. One of the things that uh, uh, we definitely want to look at on this first Wednesday of the new year is, is what we anticipate for 2022. In the last segment, we were talking a little bit about the takeaways and throwaways from 2021. Um, and including the fact, and we were talking about this uh, leading into the break, and I don't know if you wanted to, to pick up on, on your thoughts there, about uh, the people that are quitting their jobs. And in, in we were talking about how that might be disproportionately women because of uh, the high cost of, well, transportation, gasoline and, and uh, daycare for younger children and and that that might be having an impact on it yeah i think so um gasoline of course is three dollars a gallon roughly i've seen analysts say it could be up to four bucks a gallon uh, coming up in 2022 hopefully that's not the case also used car prices um, if you look at where the quits are happening um disproportionately it's leisure hospitality so we're talking about you know, bars, restaurants, hotels, service sector type jobs, uh, those tend to be lower wage jobs. So uh, a worker might be running the numbers and saying, well, it's not worth paying three bucks a gallon to get to my service sector job that's paying 10 bucks an hour, especially with inflation eroding the purchasing power of that $10 per hour. Or if I have a used car, um, it's kind of on its last legs. I need to go find a different used car, but used car prices are up by 50%. It's just not worth the hassle. Um, I think that's a possibility, especially if that worker might have um, some COVID stimulus saved up in the bank that that worker could draw down on during that time period. Um, also, service sector jobs, leisure, hospitality, those tend to not be the most pleasant jobs to work uh, if you talk to people who work in that sector. Um, customer ser- customer-facing jobs could always be stressful because you know 99% of customers might be very pleasant, 
It's just the 1% that gives you a hard time, but, you know, that 1% might be a really bad 1%, especially it seems like things are getting worse on that front. Uh, workers talk about getting yelled at by customers, both as, because of high prices, like the individual worker has any control over what prices are, because of mask requirements, like the individual worker has any control over that. But you just see these viral videos of workers being screamed at, and workers just say, well, I don't need to deal with this. I'm going to go find something else to do with my life. So I think that's driving some of it, too. You know, I wouldn't want to be a flight attendant right now and just get yelled at by a crazy passenger, either because they have to wear a mask or because a different passenger has his or her mask pulled down because they're drinking coffee or eating a cookie or something like that. You know, people don't want to have to deal with that crap uh, at their daily jobs. So I think some of that's the some of that's well, yeah, and as well. And, and if you do do the math on it, you look at the kind of wages, and, and I don't want to be gender insensitive, but if you take a woman who's working a waitressing job, for example, and she's got a couple of kids in daycare, and, you know, gas prices are high, and by the time she pays the daycare bill and the gas it costs her to drive to and from her place of employment, um... You know, for the for the money she's making, for the shifts she's working and getting, um, it may be a real break-even proposition. And, you know, I, I would think any parent would look at that and say, you know, it's really better if I'm at home with the kids. Plus, the working conditions are just getting worse. Uh, well, yeah, that, a, yeah, that's, that's a, wait, a factor, As a waitress, too. you might have to wear a mask. For an eight-hour shift, I just can't imagine being a waitress wearing a mask for an eight-hour shift. You have to be in the hot kitchen, carrying trays of food while having a tough time breathing through a mask. And then, if you have to enforce any sort of government restriction, there might be a mask requirement. There might be social distancing requirements. You know, you might get some pushback from an angry customer over those restrictions. It's not like you're the one setting the restrictions. You're just enforcing what the government tells you. You have to enforce, but no one likes to be yelled at by a crazy customer. And given labor market shortages, you're probably shorthanded at your waitressing job or whatever job we're talking about. You know, you might have had, you know, 15 staff members before the pandemic, but now you have eight. So you're trying to pick up the slack from these missing workers, and that's no fun to do either. Um, so it's just the working conditions that got, have gotten a lot worse during the pandemic. Yeah, you know, I've never really understood customers yelling at the wait staff over restrictions that the wait staff has to enforce you know that's like people yelling at the tsa agent for what the tsa has to do when someone flies it's like they don't set these rules you know they're just enforcing the rules that some policymakers set so go go yell at your elected official go vote them out of office if you don't like these restrictions you know they're the ones at the end of the day who are responsible for them but it's hard to see your elected official but i guess it's really easy to see the tsa agent or or the waiter um, so, yeah, I think working conditions explain why we're seeing um, an increase in quit rates, and I think the situation with schools is explaining it. We're kind of talking about this before the break, but suppose you have a first grader and, you know, you have a sense that the school's going to go virtual for a few days, and what do you know, Happy New Year, here's a memo from the school saying, well, for the first five days of the semester, we see this in Genesee County, we're going virtual um, due to rising COVID cases, so... Now you've got to figure out child care for your first grader because you thought the first grader was going to be in school. That turns out he's not going to be. 
and figuring out child care might be impossible to do if you don't have family in the area who could step in and provide that child care. So if we have this uncertainty in terms of will schools be in session or will, the, will there be remote schooling, you know, a mother who's working might say, well, I can't afford to go back to work if I'm going to have to quit my job in two days to take care of my kid while he attends school on Zoom. And it's not like schools are um, necessarily lifting restrictions after, say, the first five days. If anything, it's likely that the restrictions will continue. We've seen that over and over again well, during the pandemic. So. Yeah, in in a way, it's, it's sort of like... Uh uh, deja vu all over again we you know we come into this new year 2022 a year ago everybody was all excited because 2020 was over and we were going to be done with all of this you know closing things and you know social distancing and all that we could start getting back to normal even if it was a slightly new normal and and there was this this excitement well we haven't seen that excitement this year because it's you know the minute we get our hopes up we start to see restrictions kicking up again and schools closing and all of these things that happened a year ago and so it's kind of like 2022 is starting much the same way 2021 did in terms of being disappointed that we haven't gotten past COVID-related illness. Yeah, this is just completely unsustainable. But, you know, put yourself in the position of a working mother. You have a first grader. You expect that first grader to be in school during a particular block of time of the day, which might allow you to get a shift in at work. But you can always expect a memo to be given with very little notice that says, well, hey, we're moving online for schooling. And now you can't go to work because you have a first grader at home. So, can you really take a job if there's always this possibility that at the drop of the hat, you might have to be responsible for your first grader during the day? And then you might say, well, um, online schooling, this is only going to be for the first three or four days of the semester. Maybe you can figure something out for three or four days. But the thing we've seen over and over again during COVID is once the restrictions expire, it's not like things go back to normal. The restrictions get extended, which means after the first three or four days of remote learning, the school's likely to say, well, we're going to go remote another three or four days after this due to COVID cases, which just makes it really impossible to you know, hold down a job if there's always this possibility that you're going to have your first grader at home because of online schooling. It's like we saw back in March and April where it was two weeks to stop the spread. We're going to shut down. The two weeks is over. What happens? Well, then it's another two weeks. Well, those two weeks expire. What happens? Well, it's another two weeks. It's like a really annoying flight. If you're at the airport, your flight's delayed, they're saying, it's a 15-minute delay. The 15 minutes expires. They're like, well, it's another 15 minutes. Well, then that 15 minutes expires, and they say it's going to be another 15 minutes. They just never tell you how long the delay is going to be. You could just come out and say it's going to be two hours and then we're going to go, but that's not what they say. If they said that, well, then you could form some expectations in terms of when the flight's going to take off. But just these rolling restrictions, rolling delays, really makes it impossible to form expectations in terms of what the economy is going to look like, what school is going to look like, which makes it very difficult to feel comfortable going back to working, um, going back to resuming day-to-day -day activities which is why I think we see so many economic disruptions. Um, here we are two years past COVID.
Well, what do we um, what do we think is likely to happen going forward in 2022? A lot of economists were saying that you know we had uh, that we were well uh, well into our recovery from all the shutdowns uh, over COVID. Um, but some of those um, uh, rosy outlooks uh, happened before Omicron began or, or started being talked about in November. And what are economists expecting now in 2022? I guess it depends who you talk to. It's you know the old Harry Truman on the one hand versus yeah. the other hand. <laughs> right. So I guess you have to talk to me so I can give you what I expected. I expect 2022 to be a repeat of 2021. You know, we're going to have labor market shortages for all the reasons we've talked about. So I think people are going to be frustrated when they go into the store and random things are out of stock. I think people will be frustrated when they go to a restaurant and can't get seated, even though there are open tables. There's just not enough wait staff, you know, not enough cooks in the kitchen to run the restaurant at full capacity. We're already seeing this with the airlines. That's something we haven't seen during COVID. Um, even during COVID, you know, travel was about as reliable as travel has been before COVID. You know, I flew for the first time after COVID back in August. Yeah, it felt about the same as 2019. But that seems to be changing um, with rolling flight delays, flight cancellations due to a shortage of airline personnel um, because of perhaps Omicron or other factors. So we're seeing more and more shortages, more and more disruptions crop up as the pandemic continues. More importantly, the response the botched response, in my view, to the pandemic continues. So I think people are just going to see more and more frustrations across the economy due to these shortages and disruptions. And that's going to continue so long as people just get freaked out, for lack of a better way to put it, of rising cases. Because the pattern seems to be a new variant is discovered. Um, reports come out about how this variant might be different than previous variants. It's going to evade the vaccines. We saw that with Delta. We saw that with Omicron. At least the claim that the variant evades vaccines, which gives round to new waves of hysteria, new rounds of restrictions. Um, and less people and getting the vaccination. Right. So if you talk about like Omicron and Delta evading the vaccines, well, what's a sensible person going to say? Well, they're going to say the vaccine doesn't work. I'm going to get this thing anyway since it's evading the vaccine. So... Why bother with the vaccine since the vaccine does have some risk, does have some side effects. Um, I think it's not correct that the new variants evade the vaccines. Um, it seems like the, new, the vaccines are effective against the, the variants, if not for completely preventing cases, but from preventing hospitalization and fatalities. But it's the exact wrong message um, that we're giving people. Uh, if you if you just see news report after news report of record high Omicron cases, it couldn't be clearer to people that, well, hey, the vaccine's not working. The message should be, look, hospitalizations aren't spiking due to COVID, due to Omicron. Fatalities aren't spiking due to Omicron. The vaccine seems to turn COVID into a head cold for most people. That should be the message. The vaccine makes COVID. Yeah, I've heard people trying COVID to... Deal I've I've heard some people, Chris, trying to to articulate it in that way, but that isn't um, it isn't ringing through to people. 
Because that's not the message that most media outlets are giving. If you look at like the Drudge Report, CNN, all the mainstream news outlets, every headline is record high COVID cases. I'm in front of my computer. I could go to the Drudge Report right now. I guarantee you that's going to be the headline. Um, no, actually, it's a January 6th because um, today's the anniversary of the so-called insurrection. But um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the left-hand side of the Drudge Report, everything is COVID, Omicron. I'm sure if you go to CNN, it's the same thing, record high cases, you know, Omicron, uh, and so forth. I'm trying to pull up CNN right now. The computer is being a little bit slow. But my point is, what every news story that people see is record high cases, um, and so forth, the, the message seems to be, well, you know, the vaccine's not working. And that's the wrong message. The message should be, yeah, we have record high cases, but those record high cases are not being met by record high fatalities or record high hospitalizations, um, which means that, hey, if you get the vaccine, you know, we could live a normal life with COVID. That should be the message. Speaking of getting back to a normal life, we were talking about how many people are leaving jobs, just up and quitting jobs or retiring early or quitting their jobs and looking for other jobs, doing other things for work and so on. Um, but is that connected in any way to the problems that we've been having with uh, getting certain kinds of parts, like you mentioned in the last segment, um, chips for automobiles, computer chips, um, and, and this this whole log jam in the supply chain? Yeah, I think um, labor market shortages explain some of that. I think it's most evident perhaps in the service sector and that the poor service we're seeing in the service sector because workers are so shorthanded. I think if you're talking about computer chips, maybe that's less of a factor of labor market shortages and more of a factor of just an over-optimized supply chain. So before COVID, automakers used to practice what's called just-in-time inventory, which means you don't hold parts in inventory. You get them just in time for when they're needed. So if you're going to build a car, the computer chip just shows up to build that car you don't have any in a bin, if you will, that you pull from to build the car. Well, that makes it really cheap to build a car because you don't have to spend all this cost of holding inventory. But the problem is if there's ever a supply chain disruption, well, you've got no inventory to draw on, which is why we just see these acres and acres of partially finished new cars. Um, with computer chips, it seems like the problem was that when the pandemic hit March and April, um, the automakers said, well, we expect auto sales to plummet due to the economic recession that's going to happen, just like what happened in the Great Recession a dozen years ago. So we're going to reduce our order of computer chips because we don't want to have these computer chips just piling up, right? We practice just-in-time inventory, just inventory. Well, what happened was is with people staying at home, the demand for electronics, computers, big-screen TV, big TVs increased. So those computer chips got diverted from the auto industry to the electronics industry. Well, then car sales never really fell during the recession. So the automakers were like, oh, it turns out we want these computer chips. So they placed their orders, but their orders got put to the back of the line. Because the computer chip industry doesn't have a whole lot of excess capacity that they could ramp up chip production. And lots of these computer chips are 
produced in China. There's shipping concerns, plus there are waves of shutdowns in China continuing to this day, which is disrupting computer chip production. So given that there's basically no excess capacity in terms of manufacturing computer chips or in the supply chain, there's no way to wrap up computer chips easily, which is why we're seeing disruptions continue in the auto industry. So I think some of the shortages we're seeing is just a project of production just being over-optimized before COVID. Optimizing production, optimizing the supply chain reduces production costs, but that also means, well, hey, there's no excess capacity. So if there's ever a gear thrown into the system, you know, the system's going to have a, t- a tough time um, removing that wrench. My guest is economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. Chris, we just have uh, about two minutes left, um, but I do want to give you a chance to, um, uh, I don't know, make uh, some some final thoughts about what we can expect going forward in 2022 from the economy. What are going to be the big trends? Um, I wish I had good news, but I think 2022 is going to be 2022 with a T-O-O. It's going to be a repeat <laughs> of what we're used to. Um, just because whatever people get, get um, hyster I don't know of a better way to put it, hysterical for COVID cases, things get disrupted. Or anxious. Things move remote. Anxious. Um, yeah, I think we actually use a stronger term than anxious because I think the concern over rising cases is really misplaced. But we cannot expect to go back to normal so long as people freak out. Maybe that's the way to put it, over rising COVID cases. COVID's going to be here forever. We have to get used. We have to learn to live with it. We can with the vaccine, in my view. But so long as we don't live with COVID, the disruptions we've experienced over the last two years, we're going to continue to experience in 2022 with some inflation dumped in on top of that. Well, Chris, thanks so much, and we'll check in again in about a month and, and see how it's going so far. Uh, it's it's always a treat to talk with you. Happy New Year, and uh, thanks. It's always great to be here, Tom. Happy New Year to you, too. The time always flies as we talk the first of the month. <laughs> it, it does, and I look forward to our next chat. Take care. You, you too. Bye-bye. That was uh, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. He is uh, our go-to guy on the first uh, Wednesday of every month, generally, to talk about the uh, um, to talk about the economy. We're going to talk about uh, headlines uh, and um, the world of politics with a look back at 2021, but also a look forward to 2022 on armchair politics coming up at the top of the hour. It's Wednesday, which means uh, it's armchair politics day. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a new limited power. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the bunchness of a banker. It's a currency that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. For it's money, money, money makes the world. Money, 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 money
Hi, this is Joe Biden from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health plan with blood technology. My community college is pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. <laughs> 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The 35th President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, had frequently demonstrated a quick and ready wit. But his audience at the 1962 White House Correspondents' Dinner was unprepared for the high humor he revealed that night. It was shortly after his now famous clash with the steel industry, in which the industry had announced and then rescinded a steel price increase. I have a few opening announcements. (laughs) First, the sudden and arbitrary action of the offices of this organization in increasing the price of dinner tickets by two... by $2.50 over last year constitutes a wholly unjustifiable defiance of the public interest. If this increase is not rescinded, but is imitated by the gridiron, radio, TV, and other dinners, it will have a serious impact on the entire economy of this city. In this serious hour in our nation's history, when newsmen are awakened in the middle of the night to be given a front-page story. (laughs) When expense accounts are being scrutinized by the Congress, when correspondents are required to leave their families for long and lonely weekends at Palm Beach, (laughs) the American people will find it hard to accept this ruthless decision made by a tiny handful of executives (laughs) whose only interest is the pursuit of pleasure. I am hopeful that the Women's Press Club will not join this price rise and will thereby force a rescission. I'm uh, sure... I speak in behalf of all of us in expressing our thanks and very best wishes to Benny Goodman and his group, Ms. Gwen Burden and Bob Force, Ms. Sally Ann Howes, Mr. Reed, who has some talent, but... uh... (laughs) And uh, Mr. Peter Sellers. I I have arranged for them to appear next week on the United States Steel Hour. Actually, uh, I didn't do it. Bobby did it, but... uh, (laughs) Like uh, members of Congress, I have been, during the last few days over the Easter holiday, back in touch with my constituents and uh, seeing how they felt. 
And frankly, I've come back to Washington from Palm Beach, and I'm against my entire program. We're just... We're just... I really feel that the only hope in 64 is to, uh, on the Republican ticket, is to nominate uh, Barry. But to be honest, I thought that before I went to Palm Beach. <laughs> we are glad to have the Prime Minister tonight. Last night he was the guest of the publishers, and again he is tonight. We want him to know... Uh... <laughs> uh, welcome he is. Lord Dunsany, a distinguished Irishman, said many years ago, to fight England is to fight faith. And I choose to believe in 1962 to be associated with England in a great cause is to be associated with faith. Prime Minister, we are proud to have you here again. We are... I speak on his behalf in saying that after having been in the hands of 1,400 members of the press for over four hours, we haven't got a single complaint. Thank you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. story for you. Once upon a holiday time, a very nice lady wanted to give some money to a charity that she thought was doing good things in her community. While the very nice lady was thinking about what charity to give to, a very bad man was planning to trick her by pretending to be a good guy, but he was actually stealing her money. What a bad guy, right? But the very nice lady was also a very smart lady, and she knew that my office has a whole team of people ready to go after the bad guys. Now, this very nice and very smart lady also did her homework. So when the bad guy called her and said he was from Acme Charitable Foundation, she asked him some very important questions. Questions that everyone who is donating to a charity this holiday season should ask. First. She asked the bad guy for the name, address, and phone number of the Acme Charitable Foundation so she could look it up to make sure it was real. Yeah, it is a legitimate charity. Nunchucks for Ducks teaches martial arts to needy ducks. Next, the very nice and smart lady asked him for the Acme Charitable Foundation's nonprofit registration number to make sure it was registered by my department to ask for donations. What's my registration number? It's uh, 8675309. 
for uh, W0. Then she asked how much of her donation would actually be used by the Acme Charitable Foundation to do what it's supposed to do. Next, because she's smart, the very nice lady asked if her donation was tax deductible. And finally, she told him she would do her homework by visiting her connection to consumer protection, michigan.gov ag, or call our charitable trust section. And if the Acme Charitable Foundation checked out, she would donate online using a credit card. And the bad guy hung up because he knew she was a very smart lady and would not be tricking her this holiday season. So kids, the moral of this story is this. While there are lots of people in need this holiday season and it's important to give, make sure your money goes to the right place.
You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.